This podcast deals with mature themes that are intended for an adult audience. The information in this show could be triggering and cause distress for some viewers. If you feel in distress, please seek out help. Please take care in listening. This is the Relationship Review with Delcy Martin. Welcome back to the Relationship Review. I hope you are well, and I want to invite you into this brave space once again. This topic today is a two-parter, with both episodes being released at around the same time. In the media, there's many good intention messages about the importance of improving communication in your relationship. The problem is that communication is a very big word and it encompasses a lot of different things. We constantly receive messages about improving communication, but not a lot of specifics on how that should be done. I'd argue that a lot of relationship difficulties come from a miscommunication. You'd think it would come easy talking to the human that we've chosen out of so many who we think we know best and we hope knows us best, who we trust completely, right? It's really easy to talk to these humans, right? Nope. Communicating with our intimate partner can actually be more difficult than communicating with a stranger. The reason for this is that we've got a lot more at stake if what we're communicating isn't accepted by our partner. The emotional investment is very real, and the fear of losing that is also very real. No matter how we try to get around it, emotional intimacy is a cornerstone of a successful relationship. And the only way to get emotional intimacy is to allow yourself to be vulnerable and talk to your partner. This week on The Relationship Review, we're going to break down a conversation. The first episode will look at prepping yourself for a conversation and inviting your partner The next episode will cover the conversation itself and following up post-conversation. My goal is to get you as much detailed and useful information as possible that you can start incorporating into your relationship right away. I want to remind you, I am not an expert in all things relationship. I'm far from perfect and sometimes struggle in approaching my own partner for conversation. Drawing one's attention to something that needs to be worked on is essential for the work to begin. Writing this episode for you has also been helpful for me, and I hope to continue to learn ways to strengthen my relationship for all my days. So let's dive into my case study for today. Tanya, age 35, and Dina, also 35, have been in a relationship for two years. They've always had good communication until the relationship, until it came to talking about money. Tanya is upset at the amount of money Dina spends when she goes to the bookstore, which she reports is a lot. She manages a lot of their finances and is noticing that they're having a harder time making ends meet since the pandemic. She feels that Dina is being irresponsible. She wants to talk to Dina about their financial situation, but every time she tries, Dina becomes very anxious high strung and makes excuses not to engage in the conversation sometimes stating you know i don't like money stuff dina says that when tanya approaches her it's after she reads the credit card statement and she's already upset she feels that tanya is overly confrontational when it comes to the subject of money 
and she fears talking about money with Tanya because she doesn't want to make her more angry. So the first step in having a conversation with your partner is imagining and rehearsing the conversation taking place. Before going into a conversation, recognize that your confidence and your perception of how the conversation will go is deeply influenced by cognitive distortions. Coming from the cognitive behavioral therapy realm, we can really understand the thinking that can take place before having a conversation, any conversation, by looking at cognitive distortions. What they are are patterns of thinking that can be unhelpful to you and can fuel feelings of anxiety or depression. There's 10 of them, and they could all apply when imagining the conversation with your partner taking place. The first is called all or nothing thinking. An example of this will be going into a discussion thinking, if I don't get the exact outcome I expect, then I will consider the conversation a failure. Or, if this conversation goes badly, I will never have a conversation again. Next is mental filter. An example of this is when your brain only notices the ways that you have struggled in previous conversations, leading to feelings of anxiety pre-talk. In reality, you've also had a lot of successes, and likely more successes than your memory is allowing you access to. If you're upset with your partner going into the conversation, your brain is very likely to filter out the positive interactions you've had with your partner for the negative ones to further fuel your anger and make the conversation less productive. In our case study, Tanya may be less and less willing to approach Dina when talking about money because her memory is selectively picking out the conversations that have not went as she's expected. I'd be interested to get Tanya to break down as many discussions about money as she can remember and try and focus on maybe some positive experiences that she's had in the past. Next, jumping to conclusions. This one encompasses mind reading. I believe that this is where you believe that you know what others are thinking. And I talked about this in a past episode. And fortune telling, believing that you know what will happen. I am so guilty of doing this one with my partner. I will enter a conversation with the mistaken belief that I know the conversation is gonna go badly. I know I'm gonna leave it without being heard. Reality is, I have no clue what's gonna happen. I might be correct, but I also might be wrong. And going into this conversation believing I know which leads me to not put my all into it. In our case study, Tanya could be going into the conversation thinking, I know she's just going to freak out. And Dina could be going into the conversation thinking, if we talk about money, I'm going to get in trouble, I'm going to get yelled at. Emotional reasoning follows, where you assume that if you feel a certain way, then it must be the truth. An example is feeling embarrassed by something in a conversation and then believing that you're an idiot. Feelings aren't facts. Labeling goes along with this. I'm an idiot is a label that we place on ourselves. We can also place labels on our partners like they are narcissistic. Labels can become self-fulfilling prophecies and can limit our ability to see our partners as variable, full, and flawed individuals. And that's normal. You're not bound by your label. You are a mosaic of different things. Overgeneralizing is the next. See, you may be overly broad in the conclusions that you draw. An example is saying, everything is wrong in our relationship or every conversation with my partner goes badly. 
I don't like to say a conversation was bad or good. I think that every conversation is elements that sit well with us and elements that don't sit well with us. Every conversation with your partner hasn't gone badly throughout every history of your relationship. Tanya and Dina are likely each thinking that every conversation about money goes badly, making them less likely to approach the conversation. Disqualifying the positive is a big one. If you go into the conversation intentionally not counting the positive experiences in the conversation, you're already entering the discussion upset, in a space of negativity, and not in the favor of your partner. You also might enter the conversation believing that you have a complete inability to talk to your partner, when I bet that you've had some examples of talking to your partner successfully. And then there's catastrophizing, my personal favorite. This is where you blow things way out of proportion and believe that the worst is going to happen. I quite often catch myself going into conversation with my partner believing that if we get into a heated discussion, it's going to mean the end of the relationship or the end of his love for me. In reality, this is a massive worst case scenario and the likelihood of happening is zero. Dina could definitely be engaging in this one. What if her anxiety could be caused by an underlying belief that if she and Tanya talk about money, they're going to have a fight and the relationship will end? Shoulds and musts are very powerful cognitive distortions. These are thoughts like, my partner should agree with everything I say, or I must not voice my true opinion to my partner. See, these statements come with feelings of expectation and shame for not meeting those expectations. Says who? Often these messages are only coming from ourselves, but more often than not, they're coming from society. These messages we receive aren't always true. Finally, personalization. This is where we blame ourselves for things that aren't our fault, or we blame others for things that are our fault. An example, I made my partner angry, it's my fault for making him angry. No. Anger as a response was his choice and an internal system in him. His perception of your words triggered anger. You didn't personally. Partners who are emotionally abusive may blame you for their anger. Their emotional response is not within your control. You have to be considerate of your partner and not be abusive or rude, but you also don't deserve to take ownership for anything that is not yours to take. Looking at our case study, Dina may personalize Tanya's anger in its entirety. In reality, there's a number of reasons why Tanya's angry, and they all stem from anxiety. Tanya is worried about money. She's worried about their spending, and she's worried about hurting Dina. These worries are coming out of, in the form of anger. Cognitive distortions significantly affect your confidence and your perception of how your conversation will go. Recognizing them is the first step in addressing them, and the simple act of recognition can go a long way in making your conversations more effective and more comfortable for you. Most people, myself included, have a number of these favorites in their repertoire. Don't try to tackle them all at once. Focus on one that you do most often, or you feel is most detrimental to your mental health and relationship and notice when it happens. Reflecting and recording is actually really good practice. When you catch yourself doing this thing, forgive yourself for being human and rephrase. The more times you catch yourself, react with self-empathy and rephrase until you teach your brain that these cognitive distortions aren't useful. 
For Tanya, I'd recommend that before inviting Dina into a conversation about money, she reflect on her own cognitive distortions and consider which ones she may be adopting. I'd also invite her to consider some cognitive distortions that Dina may be wrestling with. Going into the conversation without a plan, especially if it's a serious conversation, can leave you fumbling for words in the moment and your brain moving into panic mode. A plan can ease your brain in the moment. Some people may need to write it out. If you have any doubts going into the conversation or feel overwhelmed before you invite your partner into conversation, I highly suggest you write your points down. Reading points off a paper during your conversation may not be for you, but the act of writing it down can help you to better commit the steps to memory, and you don't have to take it into your conversation with you if you don't want to. Don't be afraid to write down potential positive effects of this conversation. This will help to remind you that you're being brave for a good reason. Tanya can make a plan of the conversation she'd want to have with Dina. She might have a list of major points she'd want to make. One, she has concerns about their finances. Two, what she has noticed about the state of their finances. Three, her concerns about Dina's spending at the bookstore. Some may feel like rehearsing the conversation out loud. One of my friends really likes to go for walks in the bush. He finds it really helpful in rehearsing difficult conversations and talks out loud as he walks. He always jokes that he hopes someone doesn't come along and hear him talking to himself. I quite enjoy talking to my dogs. The random snorts and licks can make it a little bit distracting, but they listen very well. If you're brave, talk to yourself in the mirror. This is a really good exercise because you can not only check your words and vocal tone, but you can check your facial and body expressions while delivering your message. One study I looked at highlighted the importance of mindfulness practice and its effect on preparation for and having conversations. For those who aren't familiar with it, in a nutshell, mindfulness is about coming out of your head and into the here and now, being present with the moment in a non-judgmental way. You can practice mindfulness every day with simple exercises like focusing on the breath, directing your focus to specific parts of your body, or naming colors and objects that you see before you see them, when you see them. Studies have found that mindfulness practice can help you to want to take an interest in your partner's thoughts and can help you to approach stressful events as challenges rather than threats. You become outwardly focused, less focus on your inner script of doom and gloom or panic. Before you invite your partner into conversation, if you have the ability or desire, sit quietly and reflect. Set your mental intention for the conversation and a couple of brief points you may want to remember. It might look like this. I sit quietly, close my eyes, and think to myself, I want to embody respect, openness, and care. Respect, openness, and care. I want to remember not to interrupt and allow my partner to finish speaking. I breathe deeply, focusing my attention on my breath and open my eyes. Setting a mental intention may seem ridiculous to some, but it actually works. Your brain likes to fall into automatic passive behavior that it gets used to over time. If you want to engage in a behavior or remember something that is outside of the typical for you, you need to be intentional in changing that path. These are things that I would recommend for Tanya. When you feel ready, it's time to approach your partner and invite them into conversation.
If you don't feel ready for conversation at this point, it might be helpful to repeat any of the previous steps or consider some of the previous things. Don't go into conversation if you're not ready, unless you have to. Step two, inviting your partner into conversation. So it seems super obvious when you say it out loud, but the timing of a conversation is really important and it's something we forget to consider. Consider what times of day your partner seems most tired, irritable, or disconnected. It's natural for us to have a slump during the day, so you may want to avoid having serious conversations during this time of the day. It just adds an extra variable to affect the outcome of the talk. In terms of physical location, a quiet and private space is vital for serious conversations. Your mood and your partner's mood are two essential variables that can affect the outcome of your conversation. If you have the ability to control the timing of your conversation, aim for times where you're both in tune with the world around you, so you're not lost in your head, and you're in a problem-solving mood. I know these seem like perfect circumstances and you may not be able to meet all of them, and that's okay, you just do your best. Dina gave us a very good clue as to the best timing for Tanya. Historically, Tanya has had conversations about money immediately after looking at her credit card bill which we know now is a trigger for her anger. Hopefully, by drawing Tanya's attention to this trigger, she'll know to avoid having conversations about money after reviewing the bills. The next day or a couple of days after might be better for her. So consider yourself for a second. Is there a time of day that might not be best for you to have serious conversations? What things trigger your anger that could affect your ability to have a conversation? When you're inviting your partner into conversation, it's essential to approach them in an open and inviting way. The first way you can show that you're inviting them into a conversation is to create an attuned environment by turning off the TV, putting away laptops and phones, closing the door, that sort of thing. In our case study, Tanya might walk into the room where her partner is watching TV, turn off the TV, let their dogs outside, and then proceed to the next step. Showing an open invitation by the words that you use is important. Ensure that they're directed and to the point. So to start, honey, I'd like to talk to you. We need to talk about the finances. I have stated clearly that I'm serious about the conversation I'd like to have, and I've given you a general topic so you know what we're talking about going into this. If you have a partner who's like me, who's anxious about having serious conversations, you can start your invitation with, I don't want you to worry, but I want to talk with you about our finances right now. Tanya would also benefit from adopting this stance with Dina. Your voice should be calm and to the point. Both of these things should help you to deliver your message in a non-threatening manner. Physically, your body part posture should be open. Avoid crossing your legs, avoid crossing your arms, and don't drop your head. An open body posture makes the nervous system feel settled and is less threatening. Tanya would sit next to Dina on the couch, turn her body toward her, place her hands in her lap. A lot of people will mirror the body language of the person who is attuning to them, so you may find your partner adopting that same open posture, allowing for their brain to open in the same way. The couple cannot fear each other. People struggle because one or both partners have the fear of being berated, yelled at, or spoken down to. This threat could be real 
in the case of mental-emotional abuse, or it could be imagined. Emotional and mental abuse is a very real thing and will be discussed in more detail in a future episode. Communication in abusive relationships is a whole other set of skills that I'd need a lot more time than a single episode to devote to. So if your partner has been in an abusive relationship in the past and has fears of these intimate conversations, helpful statements could be, I want to tackle this with you. I'm not going to hurt you. Or I want you to feel safe talking to me right now and put them at ease. So assuming that this is not an abusive relationship and the fear is imagined, it can be helpful to share with your partner that you feel scared. This creates emotional intimacy and will really deepen your conversation as we remember. Emotional intimacy is a building block of a healthy relationship. If Dina and Tanya were in a couples therapy session and Dina were to share with Tanya that she felt scared of being yelled at, that would do a lot to create emotional intimacy. This emotional intimacy and connection will help them become cognizant of the problem and better address it in the moment. If you fear your partner or your partner fears you, your fight flight freeze system is activated, your heart rate increases and your rate of thinking increases along with your heart. When this comes, a decrease in your ability to reason and recognize emotion in others comes with it. Adult attachment says that our attachment style that we develop in childhood affects how we feel about and communicate in our intimate relationships. Secure attachment, being the quote-unquote normal, is looked at along two dimensions. First, we have attachment anxiety. An anxious attachment style in childhood, so the caregiving and the emotional support was inconsistent. These individuals worry that their partner will reject or abandon them and deem them unworthy of love. In our case study, Dina could fit into this attachment style. She may fear difficult conversations like money because she's afraid that an argument will lead to Tanya abandoning her. Next, attachment avoidance. An avoidance attachment style in childhood is where the caregiver or the emotional support was neglectful or abusive. These individuals feel uncomfortable with closeness and connection. They can at times do a swing toward extreme independence and have trouble seeing the value of connection in intimate relationships. The motivation to address problems has two facets, an approach and an avoidance. An anxious attachment style fosters a tendency to consider approach, but they end up avoiding. So a person would like to have an important conversation with their partner, but does not because they're afraid. An avoidance style tends to not even consider the approach. So the person doesn't even consider the value of attempting the conversation or the value isn't worth the risk and effort. The experience of an avoidant individual is that they don't get a whole lot of reward and positive reinforcement from their daily emotional encounters. So they don't see a point in attempting with their intimate partners. Anxious individuals are surrounded by so much fear and second guessing themselves in their daily emotional interactions that although they understand that approaching is important, they're afraid to, and they ease this fear by avoiding the interaction altogether. 
Studies show that when a threat to the relationship occurs, avoided individuals will distance themselves from the relationship as a protective mechanism. Anxious individuals can become clingy, and if this doesn't work, actively distance. Studies show that those who have an anxious attachment style are also less likely to follow a mindfulness practice regularly and miss out on the benefits to the relationship that mindfulness practice can add. So, you've prepared yourself, you've taken the brave step of inviting your partner into conversation, they're attuned to you, and they're ready to receive the message you'd like to send them. What next? This is where we'll leave this episode. Join me in the episode two to hammer out the details of having the conversation and following up afterward. I hope that you've learned something new in this episode and that there's something that you can take from my podcast that serves you. I'm very grateful for you. Thank you for listening and take very good care.